0: Hi there, everybody. I am John Allen, the editor of Crux, and this is Last Week in the Church, the show devoted to telling you things about the Vatican and the Catholic Church you already know. Now, I love to think about the rundown for this show as the menu for one of those abundant, sumptuous, delectable, classic Italian Sunday lunches, the pranzo di domenica. So here are the five dishes I've got for you today. We begin with Another Blow for Women by Francis. Then, the Pope talks babies and bucks. John Kerry sits down with the Pontiff. The Vatican's London financial scandal just keeps rolling. And finally, musings on faith and food. So I hope you're hungry. That's what I've got, and I'm gonna start serving up those dishes right after this. Okay, we begin today with another blow for women by Pope Francis. At least that's how it's being billed uh, in much of the global media. This week, Pope Francis issued uh, another, what is known as a motu proprio. Uh, It's a Latin phrase, which basically means that the Pope is amending the law of the Catholic Church under his own personal authority. Just as a footnote... Uh, there is an irony here. Pope Francis is a pope who loves to rail against legalism. Uh, he uses the phrase doctors of the law as a kind of pejorative, meaning the kind of fussy, rigid, legalistic types that he thinks don't really, jo- don't really vibe well with the spirit of the gospel. Uh, and yet no pope ever! has tweaked the the code of canon law more often than Pope Francis. He issues motu proprio the way that some popes change their cassocks. John Paul II, over 27 years, issued a total of 25 motu proprio, that's less than one a year. Pope Francis has already issued 34 and we're only in year eight uh, of his papacy. But, uh, so the, the spirit of this one, Uh, is to create a new ministry in the Catholic Church. It's the Ministry of Catechist. Uh, And the Pope has specified that it is open to all laity, which therefore obviously includes women. Now, look, if you are a Catholic in the United States under the age of 50, and you ever took a CCD class, you may be wondering, what? (laughs) I mean, you probably took that CCD class from Mrs. O'Rourke, She was probably, by the way, tough as nails. My grandma taught CCD back in the 1970s in Hill City, Kansas, and there's an entire generation of Catholics in Hill City with the battle scars to prove it. And so you may be thinking, well, hasn't this been going on forever? What? Well, here's the thing. Yes, uh, women have been acting as catechists in many parts of the Catholic world for a long time, but that's been an informal rule. Now, there is, the catechist is one of six formal ministries recognized by the church. Uh, three of them are open only to people in holy orders—that's bishop, priest, and deacon. Uh, we already had a catechist. Uh, sorry, we already had theologian and lay ecclesial minister. Now we have a sixth catechist. Uh, and so, uh, because this ministry is open to women and because so many of the lay people who actually function as catechists actually are women, this is being styled uh, as another way in which Pope Francis is trying to recognize the role of women in the church to expand the leadership opportunities available to them. <clears throat> you know, remains to be seen how this plays out, whether it will actually change anything, But it probably ought to be said that in many parts of the Catholic world outside the West, so I'm talking about Latin America, Africa, Asia, uh, women do make up a wildly disproportionate share of the rank and file people in the church who do what we would conventionally think of as catechism, Uh, and that 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 actually is a broader role in many parts of the Catholic world. Sometimes it's not just teaching religion classes to kids, uh, but it might involve uh, bringing the sacrament, uh, consecrated hosts to homebound people who aren't able to get to mass. Uh, It might involve leading local prayer groups, faith groups in communities that would be lucky to see a priest once every three months and a bishop once every three years. Uh, And so formalizing this role and therefore potentially giving it a larger stake in decision making uh, in the Catholic Church could have uh, important consequences for the wider Catholic community around the world, especially, as I say, uh, in places where this role of catechist is a much bigger deal. All right. Pope Francis talks babies and bucks. (laughs) Also this week, the Pope spoke at a conference on demography, demography, uh, sponsored by the Italian Bishops' Conference, which took place here in Rome uh, in an auditorium that's actually owned by the Vatican on the Via della Conciliazione. That's that broad street that leads up to St. Peter's Square. Demography uh, was founded by the French philosopher and social scientist Auguste Comte in the 19th century. And Comte was famous for the line Demography is destiny. Uh, That is, uh, whatever the demographic trends in a society are, they determine its future. Well, if that is the case, the theme of this conference at which the Pope spoke. Uh, is that the Italian future, at least, is fairly bleak. Uh, Italy, uh, as was mentioned at this conference uh, in 2020, recorded 404,000 live births. That's the lowest number of live births recorded in Italy since unification of the Italian peninsula in 1870. Uh, Fertility rates in Italy have been trending down for decades, they are among the lowest in Western Europe, and yes, for a culture that prides itself on its Catholic identity, that is an irony. Uh, Pope Francis at this conference argued that a society that does not have families uh, is suffering from a lack of faith in the future, and he urged uh, Italy and other societies around the world to take steps to promote young people, to help them begin families, and to sustain them as they do so. Now, at the same conference, uh, Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi, or Super Mario, as he is known by Italians in an homage to the video game, former president of the European Central Bank, whose claim to fame is that he saved the euro during the eurozone crisis in the mid-2000s, Uh, Prime Minister Draghi echoed the Pope's assessment, also uh, rolled out his new plan to support families as part of his broader COVID relief package. It's called the Assegno Unico, or that's an Italian phrase that means basically single check, unified check. Basically, Draghi's plan is to consolidate a bunch of different tax breaks and other benefits Italians used to get for having kids, that were complex, hard to to access, and so on, into one lump sum annual payment, uh, basically ranging from 80 to 250 euros, so call it 100 to 300 US dollars, per child uh, that a family has, depending on their economic circumstances. Uh, And in the Italian media, anyway, this synchronicity between Pope Francis and Draghi was taken as a papal endorsement for Draghi's proposal and another sign of the kind of kismet, uh, the, the bond, if you like, uh, between the two most important centers of power here in Italy, that would be the Pope and the Prime Minister, more broadly what it signifies. Uh, is that Pope Francis uh, and his Vatican team will be supporting measures around the world that are designed to encourage the formation and the maintenance uh, of families. I would simply note that this whole conference and the whole conversation uh, is also an interesting uh, sort of bit of subtext uh, about recent Catholic history. It isn't very often that you can find empirical confirmation for a papal encyclical, right? I mean, normally these are doctrinal treatises. If you accept the premises of the Catholic faith, then often their conclusions follow. But of course, those are conclusions rooted in faith, not in science, Uh, and so it's not possible to scientifically prove that a pope was right. Uh, however, uh, in the case of Paul VI, the 1968 encyclical Omane Vitae, which, of course, was enormously controversial then and now for reiterating the Church's traditional absolute ban on the use of birth control, but in that encyclical, Paul VI also warned of the spread of what has come to be known as a contraceptive mentality that is a kind of hostility to conception and a hostility bringing new life into the world that, have, that would have dire social consequences. On that front, at least, it is impossible not to conclude that de- the demographic data have shown Paul VI to be correct. Uh, and in that sense, Pope Francis this week was echoing what have turned out to be the prophetic uh, insights uh, of his predecessor that, of course, he himself canonized. All right. Third, John Kerry was in Rome this week and the highlight of his Roman holiday uh, was a what was billed as a private audience with Pope Francis. John Kerry, of course, uh, is former US Senator from Massachusetts and also the former Democratic nominee for president uh, in 2004. Today, uh, he is President Joe Biden's special envoy for the environment, leading the the U.S. fight against climate change and the broader mandate in the Biden administration to be environmentally responsible. Uh, And so Kerry happened to be in Rome this week for for various meetings with Italian and U.N. officials, but uh, he also met with Pope Francis. Coincidentally, uh, right on the cusp of the Vatican's own Laudato Si week, uh, which is a week that wraps up what has been a year-long observance of Pope Francis's 2015 encyclical devoted to the environment, Laudato Si, the first encyclical ever devoted by a pope uh, entirely to the theme of care for creation. After the meeting with Pope Francis, Kerry gave an interview to Vatican News, that is the official news outlet of the Vatican, Uh, in which he praised the leadership of Pope Francis on the environmental issue uh, and the moral courage he has shown in leading the fight against climate change. All this, of course, comes ahead of the next COP21 summit, uh, which is the major United United Nations summit uh, on climate change due to take place later this year. And it's all intended to shape the conclusions that will come out of that summit. It also, by the way, comes ahead of what is, con- what is planned to be the Peace de la resistance of Laudato Si week. On the 25th of May, the Vatican is going to be releasing a new set of commandments for the environment. These are intended to be practical steps. That parishes and dioceses and Catholic schools and Catholic hospitals and other Catholic organizations can take in an effort to promote a deeper environmental sensibility and an ethos uh, of care for creation. So we await the release uh, of these new recommendations, suggestions, guidelines, commandments, whatever you want to call them. And all of this is indicative that when the final story of the Francis papacy is written, undoubtedly his environmental advocacy and his encyclical Laudato Si will finish very near uh, the top uh, of that account. It is also a reminder that despite the fact that the Biden administration is having difficulties with the U.S. bishops at the moment over its abortion policies, on many other fronts, particularly as far as the Vatican is concerned, there is a clear meeting of minds. All right, fourth, the Vatican's London financial scandal is rolling along nicely. This week, one of the principals in that story, an Italian financier by the name of John Luigi Torzi was arrested in London uh, upon a request of Roman prosecutors. Now, you may recall that earlier this year, Torzi, w- who was based in London, was arrested upon a request of prosecutors from the vatican for his role in that london scandal which involved the purchase of a piece of property in london a former harrods warehouse which was slated for conversion into london luxury apartments it's in the chelsea neighborhood uh, and it was supposed to pay off the investment three or four times over tortsy brokered the first stage of that deal. He is accused by Vatican prosecutors now uh, of having bilked them uh, of millions of euro in overcompensation for his role in the deal. That however, that arrest in London earlier this year was thrown out by a British judge who had accused the Vatican of what he called appalling omissions and misrepresentations in their arrest warrant and said that the paper trail showed that everything Torzi had done had been specifically approved by senior authorities in the Vatican, so where's the beef? All right, now he's under arrest again, this time because Roman, not Vatican, prosecutors uh, requested his arrest on charges of false billing for purposes of tax evasion. The idea is that he and a number of other Roman cronies cooked up bills for one another's companies that they all allegedly paid. In reality, they didn't. This was all for purpose of tax write-offs, uh, in, other, in other words, to avoid their, their tax liabilities. Now, a hearing is scheduled next week to see if this arrest warrant will stand uh, and if Torsi will actually be extradited to Rome. The Vatican interest in all this is, suppose the warrant does stand, suppose he's extradited, and suppose these Roman authorities actually have the goods on him, okay? Then we are basically in a really juicy episode of Law and Order, because Torti is going to be inclined to say, let's make a deal. Let me tell you things I know in exchange for lenient treatment. And some of those things he knows may actually involve the Vatican. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how all this plays out. One final ironic footnote to all of this. As I mentioned, Torsi brokered the second stage of the Vatican's London deal. Now, the guy who brokered the first phase was another Italian financier by the name of Raffaele Mincioni. Uh, Mincioni is also accused by Vatican prosecutors of inflating his billings and extorting uh, grotesque overpayments from the Vatican. Mencioni, among other things, owns a real estate group here in Rome. It's called the W.R.M. Group, and it recently got the management rights to a shopping mall here in the Eternal City. (laughs) You know what the name of this shopping mall is? It's called the Centro Cormaciale Casal Bertone. Bertone. Now, it actually has nothing to do uh, with Cardinal Tarsicio Bertone, the Vatican's formal, former Secretary of State, who himself is accused uh, of various financial shenanigans. But nevertheless, the idea that the, fin- the shady financier who first got the, va- the Vatican into the hot water represented by the London deal, is now owning a shopping mall, or rather running a shopping mall, named Bertone. It just doesn't get any more juicily ironic than that. All right, finally this week, musings on faith and food. As I mentioned, this is Laudato Si' week in the Vatican, and as part of their observances This week, the Vatican's Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development is hosting a series of webinars about hunger and food security, basically to promote the idea that the fight against global hunger is important and that food security for all is a worthy goal. Now, the official responsible for putting all this together is an Argentine priest by the name of Father Augusto Zempini. Father Zampini this week gave an interview to Crooks in which he felt compelled to explain why the Catholic Church is interested in the topic of food. Now, I have to admit, I read this interview and I was not only startled, I was borderline offended. Because, to be honest with you, it seems to me axiomatic that the Catholic Church ought to be interested in food. I mean, you know, let's forget for a moment the spiritual stuff, the fact that the central ritual act of the Catholic Church is a sacramental meal. Let's forget for a moment the fact that we refer to our Lord and Savior as the bread of life. I mean, let's just start with the fact that in any Catholic culture worth its name, the the, the linchpin, the centerpiece, the, the beating heart, the you know, the lawn vital uh, of social life is the meal. I mean, here in Italy, of course, I mentioned the Sunday lunch at the top of the show, like basically on Sundays in Italy, according to tradition, there are only two things you do. You go to mass and you go to lunch and the whole family is expected to show up for both. I mean, Catholic culture has been forged at the table Uh, And and honestly, there's an entire history of the Catholic Church that could be written in the form of a cookbook. I mean, let me just give you one example that has come to my mind recently, and that is Spaghetti alla Papallina. Now, I recently made Spaghetti alla Papallina, which I hadn't made for a long time. Uh, It is kind of a classic of the Roman kitchen. Do you know why it's called that? Well, Papalino is the Italian word for the white skullcap that popes wear. Uh, every other bishop, it's what he wears, the skullcap, is called a zucchetto, but for the pope, it's the papalino, uh, And this dish is named Spaghetti alla papalina because uh, it was essentially an invention of Cardinal Eugenio Pacelli uh, in the 1930s before he became Pope Pius XII. Basically, he was elected in 1939. But in the mid-1930s, he was Cardinal Picilli. He was the Vatican Secretary of State. He was the last native Roman pope. He was born in Rome and therefore grew up on the Roman kitchen. His favorite dish was spaghetti alla carbonara. Uh, that's a very rich dish made with eggs and strong pecorino cheese. And spicy pancetta, uh, that's the cut of a pig that comes from its stomach. The Italian word for stomach is pancia. Therefore, this, this cut of pork is pancetta. Uh, and it has a very rich flavor, strong flavor. Uh, and by the 1930s, Pacelli was finding that the carbonara was a bit much. Uh, so his favorite, his favorite Roman restaurant was a place called La Cisterna, the, the, the cistern. Uh, And he asked the cook there if he could make a lighter, more easily digestible form of carbonara. So, this cook decided that instead of that strong pecorino, uh, he was going to use uh, parmesan, parmigiano. Uh, Instead of pancetta, he would just use basic ham. Uh, And to compensate for some of the lost flavor, he would start with a base of kind of sautéed onions. The dish caught on, became very popular, and this cook, who could read the handwriting on the wall, knew that one day Pacelli uh, was going to be Pope, named it Spaghetti alla Papalina. My point uh, is that you can eat your way through church history because the history of the papacy, the history of the Catholic Church, has been forged just as much in the kitchen as it has at the altar. In fact, From a truly Catholic point of view, the altar is incomprehensible without the kitchen and vice versa. Uh, And so, ladies and gentlemen, never feel that you need to explain to anyone why the Catholic Church has a vital interest in the subject of food. The difference between the Catholic Church and the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, with whom the Vatican is partnering in these webinars, is that the Food and Agricultural Organization, its mandate is to make sure that everyone has enough to eat. The Catholic Church is interested not only in making sure that people have enough to eat, but because they eat well. Because eating well, folks, is a form of sensual delight that is a participation in the heavenly feast for which we all spend this earthly journey preparing. All right, that is our show for this week. Thank you for spending part of your Monday with us. If you enjoy Last Week in the Church, I would ask you to go online and give us a thumbs up, give us a like, give us a retweet. Go onto the social media platform of your choice and make disciples of all the nations. Also want to remind you that full coverage of all these stories are available on the Crux site. That is cruxnow.com, cruxnow.com, your one-stop shopping destination for the very best in smart, wired, and independent Catholic journalism. When you go on the site, you will find we are in the middle of our online fundraising drive if you have the chance. What we are really looking for is somebody willing to make a small, modest, monthly commitment to Crux over the next year or so. We're not looking for much. Maybe you, what you would spend this month on a couple cups of coffee or streaming a movie on Amazon Prime or whatever, or going out to dinner, but whatever you can do, that monthly commitment gives us the ability to make plans. It is critically important from the bottom of our collective hearts. Thank you for whatever you can do. In the meantime, over the next week, stay safe, stay healthy, have a fantastic and blessed week, and we will be with you again soon, bringing you the news and notes you already know.